0: Hey, writers, join our first draft weekly Writers Club. We meet every Tuesday from 12 to 1 Eastern Time. For more information, go to writingclassradio.com and click on the Classes tab. This is Writing Class Radio. I'm your teacher, Andrea Askowitz. If you love and get inspired by true personal stories, and want to learn a little bit about how to tell your own stories, this is your podcast. Today you're going to hear from Bo. And let another mission consume me. Bo's story is about the time he got blocked from a one 900 gay chat line. Later in the episode, I talked to Bo. We met on Miami Beach to talk about his life now, 24 years after the incident he writes about. This episode is about perspective and how sometimes it takes years to figure out that the way we thought or the things we did were totally fucked up. Warning. The story you're about to hear contains explicit language, so if you're listening while driving carpool, you might want to listen to something more appropriate, like Drake. Hell yeah, hell yeah, fucking right, fucking right, all right. And we say hell yeah, 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 hell yeah fucking right.
1: I moved to Miami in the early 90s and chose to live in the heart of the gay ghetto, South Beach. I had grown up in a small southern town in the Bible Belt, and I wanted to live in a place where being gay wasn't an issue. In South Beach, being gay was celebrated. Within walking distance were gay clubs, gay restaurants, a gay gym, and there were gay people everywhere. But I soon learned that shared sexual orientation didn't guarantee community. While I had envisioned scintillating conversations with like-minded intellectuals, what I found were groups and cliques that I just didn't fit into. There were gym rats, circuit boys, fashion queens, bears, papichulos, club kids, The ubiquitous, handsome muscle men with the chiseled bodies of Greek and Roman gods that one admired from afar quickly lost their allure lure when they opened their mouths and screamed, Hey, girl! (music) I wanted to work hard and have a career, and here I was surrounded by people who were living for the moment. So most weekends when others were out partying, one of my friends from home, Eric, would come over to watch TV. In those pre-internet days, I was always amused by the late-night commercials for local chat lines. A second-rate, stripper-looking model preened on a sofa holding her telephone and tossing her hair. She'd say, Hi, I'm Amanda, and I just love to talk to hot singles in my area. You never know who you might meet. The commercial ended with Amanda opening the door to a handsome guy carrying a bottle of champagne. And wouldn't you know it, Miami Beach TV had a gay version of this. A muscular guy holding a football said, Hey guys, do you want to talk to hot men in your area? Call the man-to-man chat line and talk to hot local guys. Eric and I couldn't believe that such a thing existed, so we dialed the number. There was no ring, just a short pause, and then a thumping synthesizer beat. Man's voice spoke, but not the jock carrying the football. No, this was the voice I couldn't bear. The gay voice. A very gay voice trying to sound masculine and it wasn't working. Hi guys, thanks for calling the mail room, the place to cruise for hot man-on-man action. I'm Trevor, your cruise master. This was the voice that made me ashamed to be gay. The voice that people in the straight world associated with gay people and would make them lump me into a category that I didn't want to be in. Trevor explained that you could cruise the ads, but to interact, you had to record a quick intro, hit the pound button, and then you had 10 seconds to tell the guys who you are and what you want. You could hit the pound key to move on, press 1 to send a private message, or star to connect live. The ads shocked me. Larry, hi guys. Hot Leather Daddy in Wilton Manors looking for submissive guys who like discipline to come play in my sling. Oh, that's sick. Gross. Carlos in Hialeah, Latino thug looking to chill and smoke yamba. Daddy. Oh, my God, he's doing illegal drugs. Arvin, I- I'm looking for uh, hot sex, but only with hot guys with uh, large p- penises. Bless his heart, he has Tourette's. Devin Bottom, I'm a hot masculine bottom looking for someone to come fill me up raw. Oh, my God, in the midst of an AIDS epidemic. DL brother. Yo, hot, body, body, brother on the DL, looking for discreet men on the DL. Hit me up. I had recently learned that DL meant down low. Oh no, he's cheating on his wife. I found it horribly depressing that men all over South Florida were lying in their beds, jacking off on this gay phone line. Where were the book clubs? Where were the professional networking associations? The political discussion groups? I didn't want to be part of this parade of freaks. I didn't want to be one of those guys. And I realized I didn't want them to be that kind of gay. I wanted so badly for gay people to be just like straight people. Or my idea at the time of straight people. Ozzie and Harriet with a white picket fence. Ozzie and Harriet were not into leather. I wanted to jolt them out of this. So Eric and I discussed what were the most jarring, unerotic message I could leave, and we decided I should use my preacher voice. For my intro, I sang a bar from the hymn, Jesus Saves, in a nasal backwoods voice, Jesus Saves, and then channeled the Baptist preacher from my grandmother's church. Brothers, homosexuality is a sin, an abomination to God, but Jesus died on the cross for you, and if you repent, you can be saved from an eternity in hell. It took no time for responses to come pouring in. Hey, asshole, get the fuck off of this line. Hey, preacher, how big's your cock? I'm going to fuck you up the ass. Eric and I laughed hysterically. I pretended this was a big joke. But on some level, I felt like I was actually doing something more important. In the book, The Catcher in the Rye, Holden Caulfield says he wants to be the catcher in the rye to protect the children from going over the side of the cliff. I envisioned myself as the gay catcher in the rye, keeping these people from doing dangerous, sinister things. I wanted to save them. The next day, Eric came over again and suggested I continue my mission of saving gay souls, I giddily agreed and dialed the number again. But instead of the thumping disco beat greeting, I only heard Trevor's voice in a loop. Sorry, guy, you've been blocked. Sorry, guy, you've been blocked. Those faggots, they blocked me. On Sunday, a group of us went to Eric's for dinner, and we told everyone about our weekend telephone calls. But everybody really wanted to hear me do it, and Eric's number wouldn't be blocked. So we dialed. Welcome to the mailroom, the place for men to cruise. This is Trevor, your cruise master. Guys, we've heard that there have been some Jesus freaks terrorizing people on the line. And we just want you to know that we've taken care of that. Happy cruising! The room exploded with laughter. It would be many years before I would be comfortable enough with myself that I didn't view people who were different as a threat to me. I realized that the message I'd been delivering to them was not unlike the church messages I'd grown up with and had come to Miami to flee.
0: Later in the show, you'll hear a conversation I had with Beau. But first, I want to tell you about our sponsor. When Beau was 26 years old, he moved to Miami Beach from the deep south in hopes of finding a safe place to be gay. 24 years later, I sat down with Beau on Lincoln Road, which is the heart of Miami Beach, to talk about coming out and being comfortable with himself. I wanted to know what has changed. Eating so excuse the chew, but um, we're talking about um, coming out
1: I was probably about 32 and my mom came for a weekend to Miami Beach to visit me and I told her um, I finally came out to her and she cried and Was very upset but over the course of the weekend. She Sort of seemed to come to terms with it at first. She was like we can't tell your daddy. It'll kill him and um, my dad would, there'd be a, I don't know, a billboard with a, a woman in a bikini. He's like, oh, that's an attractive-looking young lady. And kind of, like, look at me for the reaction, you know, and I just...
0: Stupid. Yeah.
1: Or, right. or what I would say my dad, he would see, uh, when they came to Miami, he'd see all these gay guys walking around, and, like, there were two gay guys on a corner kissing one day. And he was totally, there you know, these big muscular guys, and all of a sudden they started making out. My dad was like, good God almighty, what the hell? You know, he was just totally freaked out.
0: But that was before he knew Before, you were yeah, gay.
1: that was before.
0: Or that was before he knew before, that you knew he knew.
1: Exactly, exactly. <laughs> right. But I think that was a genuine sort of visceral shock reaction. Couldn't? He had
0: the reaction that you had when you first saw them.
1: Kind of. What I always didn't like or was always afraid of is that people would see things like that and put me into that category that was always the the uh the issue that i had
0: bo was still a kid when he moved to miami beach and called that hotline trying to distance himself from the queenie gaze i get it when my mom first met victoria who is now my wife she gave me a high five like a frat boy i knew exactly why my mom did it and i was like bam I think it's pretty universal, especially when you're young, to worry about what people might think of us based on the people we associate with. And sometimes it takes writing a story to reveal to ourselves where we were and what we're still trying to overcome. Okay, back to Bo's visit with his mom.
1: And then after a couple days, she realized that everybody else in my world, everybody else knew. And she she was like, well, we can't hide this from him. We have to tell him. And, And... and then she went home and told my dad, because <laughs> I wasn't going to tell him. And then she told him, and he called me a, a few days later and was totally cool and supportive, and, you know, it, was, it ended up being a, a good thing.
0: So, look, okay, there's two guys walking. One of them's wearing, like, the typical beige pants, right? The gay male uniform. Do you see that? Two men? Yes. Right? Maybe those are gay guys, do you think? Or...
1: Uh, Probably. They look kind of like a couple. So,
0: how do you feel when you see guys like that now?
1: Um, now, I think how nice that they can be in a place where they can walk around and nobody's gonna bother them or, or harass them.
0: Now, if you saw the guy in the g-string and the feathers at a gay pride parade or walking down Lincoln Road, you you would how would you feel? How would you feel now?
1: I I would not care that people see that and are going to think I'm like that because my perspective is totally different um, you know I've grown up and I've uh, matured and I just it's not an affront
0: so when did that change and how do you think that your perspective changed
1: I think that um, sort of around the time that the, the stuff that we talked that I talk about in that story is that I, I started realizing that um you know, that, that probably a lot of those people that I saw as um, that I judged or, or whatever, you know, had gone through rough times themselves and, and as I got to know people, that contact with people that are different and understanding where they're coming from kind of started to change my So you
0: made friends with those hey girls.
1: Yeah, and and, and then just kind of becoming more comfortable with my with myself. Um, made me less predisposed to it towards judging others or being threatened by their self-expression.
0: I don't think Bo would have been able to write this story 24 years ago without everyone thinking the story was mean. As it was, one woman in our class called him out for being homophobic, and you may also. I think the story could have been strengthened if Beau had made fun of himself as hard as he made fun of the Papi Chulos and the other gay characters he imitated. When a narrator makes fun of him or herself, it shows that he knows himself, and it shows evolution. It shows there's been a change in that character. But what impresses me is Beau's commitment as a writer to be true to his character then. The story reflects the way he felt then. He's able to tell it now, because he knows now that what he did was a dick move.
1: Hey, little batty boy, don't be discreet. There should be love out in the street. Don't pay attention to those people you
0: meet. Except to bring them down when I was thinking that just like Beau was on a mission to save the gay soul, I've brought it on myself to save the straight soul. I feel it's my public duty to improve gay-straight relations. When we first moved into our house, we heard that our neighbor didn't like us because we were lesbians. My neighbor's housekeeper told our housekeeper. So instead of waiting for a welcome basket, I knocked on her door. I really thought that if she didn't like gay people, she needed to meet me. Like I would do her a favor and improve her life. I was sure she'd like me. So my whole family went door to door to meet the neighbors. Sebastian was in the stroller. Tashi was on a skateboard. Vicky even went along with it. I told her it was an American thing. And everyone was super nice except the woman next door who has a daughter who was 12 at the time. When we came by, the daughter was in the shower. Since then... Whenever I go over there to bring cookies, I forget to wear shoes and a bra. Here's your assignment. Set a timer for 10 minutes. No, set your timer for 11 minutes just to be queer. No. That's it. 11 minutes. All you have to do is write without stopping. Keep your pen moving or your fingers tapping. Also, follow your mind. Go where it takes you. The thing about the prompts is they are just meant to get you started. If what you write has nothing to do with the prompt, that's okay. There's no wrong way to do a prompt. When the timer goes off, stop. Then read what you wrote into your voice memo on your phone and email it to us at info at Some of your stories will end up right here on our show. Here's the prompt. Everyone is hiding something. What are you hiding? In what way are you in the closet?
1: To write it all new
0: To fill the void with
1: presents and letters Would make the distance all more true
0: Writing Class Radio is produced by Diego Saldana Rojas, Alison Langer, and me, Andrea Askowitz, with editorial help from Alejandro Santiago and Claudia Franklin. Theme music by Adriel Borshansky. Additional music by Blue Jay and Kat Cousteau. I want to thank all the musicians who donated their original music. I took a step down
1: From my values and my re-
0: Writing Class Radio is recorded at the University of Miami School of Communication. This episode is sponsored by Sanibel Island Writers' Conference. Listen, this is such a good conference. I'll be there. I hope you'll be there, too.
1: To work, to work. Well, I'd love to say I'm sorry,
0: I. If you like Writing Class Radio, please rate us on iTunes. I just figured out how to do it from my phone. You go to the podcast app, search Writing Class Radio, click on the big logo, then click Review. Did you get that? If not, Google it and tell the world how great we are. To write it all anew To fill the void with presents and letters make the distance all more true There's more Writing Class Radio on our website writingclassradio.com Study the stories we study listen to our craft talks follow our daily prompts and time yourself then record what you wrote and send it in There's no better way to understand ourselves and each other than by writing and sharing our stories Everyone has a story What's Yours?